Hey, Warners. Welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy and salesgravy.university. If you want to level up your sales game, you got to be going to Sales Gravy University. We have almost 300 courses, both live and on demand. So go check that out. I'm excited. I just produced a couple new courses that I'm excited about. So go check that out. And today, I'm excited to bring on to the show a man named Gerald Leonard. And Gerald and I met through our elite coaching program at Sales Gravy. So I started working with Gerald one-on-one and he is just such an interesting, fascinating man. I really enjoyed my time working with him. And he's got a, a fun journey to talk about of you know what has happened to him since the coaching. He was already awesome before that, but some really cool things happened. What got my attention is that I got a notice on Amazon that Gerald Leonard has a new book coming out because, you know, you can follow an author on Amazon and I do that. And so I'm like, yay, his new book is out and I want to talk about it. So Gerald Leonard, welcome to The Women Your Mother Warned You About. Gina, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you. This brings back so many memories of us having our one-on-ones together and talking and how much I learned from you. It's amazing. Oh, that's so great. There's so much we could talk about. I'm just like, I'm like, hey, I just wanted to like kind of reconnect with you. And I'm like, oh, we'll just turn it into a podcast. So we're just going to have coffee talk and turn this into a podcast. So let's do some first things first for the listeners. Tell the listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then we'll start talking about the book. Right. So what I do is I help companies with workplace productivity. And I'm certified in project and program and portfolio management. I have a bachelor's and master's in music. And I've, throughout my career, I've played music professionally and worked as a consultant. And in doing that, you just begin to see the similarities between going to a great performance or rehearsal and working with musicians and working with project teams and doing consulting. And there were so many similarities that I started writing about it. I started first start speaking about it, and then I started writing about it. And it's just been amazing. And also just, I'm really big on coaching because as a musician, you know, I started playing when I was 10. If you look over my shoulder, you see a little, a little red guitar on the wall there. Yeah. That was my sister's. <laughs> I used to steal it from her. And then she finally said, okay, you can have it. And then she let me have it for real. <laughs> oh, that is so but, awesome. But that, that little red guitar put me on a journey of seeking out others who were more advanced than I was. And because of that, I joined a band and one of them, a guy on the band was an amazing guitar player. So I knew I wasn't going to be the guitar player anymore. So I started playing bass. So I went and found teachers and I actually had to, you know, I was the youngest of six. I had to pay for my own lessons. But that again was another major lesson that taught me in life. Mm. If you want to get, if you want to advance in your career or move forward, be willing to invest in yourself, be willing to invest in your career, be willing to invest in your own knowledge and find others that are playing at a higher level that'll bring you up to that level. Yeah. And that leads me to how I met you and how I met Jeb Blunt, because, you know, I was working on my sales and I had some processes, but I felt like I was missing something. And I had, I, I think I'd purchased one of Jeb's book. I'd saw some videos. I saw you on some things. And I said, you know, I'm going to sign up for sales gravy. I took some classes. I think I took a class from you. And then I said, you know, I'm going to go ahead and invest in my own coaching as a CEO of two companies. I feel like it's my job to lead the way first and model what I want my teams to be doing. If I want my teams to go after education, then they need to see me as someone who's constantly humble and hungry for education. 
and growth. And so I did. And what an experience of working with you. I learned so much. You really helped me to streamline some processes and, you know, my language of how to reach out, the cadence of how to reach out, the sequencing. I can go on and on and sing your praise. But one of the best things you did, you told me about Outbound. And I went to Outbound. I live in Spanish Fort, Alabama. It's about five hours away. And uh, instead of flying, I just drove up, probably listened to a book in the cars. I drove up there. And I, and, and, but instead of just doing outbound, I did the VIP portion of outbound, which gave me access to Jeb Blunt, who's written 15 books for Wiley. Lo and behold, did I not know that Jeb also looks at everyone who goes to the VIP program and looks at their profile. So when I talked with him one-on-one -on -one at the meeting, he knew about my two books and he knew I was working on a third book. And he says, you know what? I want to introduce you to my publisher, Wiley. They're here. So over the few days that I was there, he literally walked me by and said, Sally, this is Gerald, this is Sally, you guys need to talk. He has a great book. And that's how this book came about, to be published by Wiley. It was literally Jeb Blunt walking me by my hand to meet Sally Baker face-to-face -face for a 15-minute talk over a cup of coffee. Is that amazing? That Yeah, I love this story. <laughs> It is so magical and so amazing. And, and before we started recording, we talked about, you know, connecting with Jeb and how busy he is. And, you know, you get it. We all get it. He is super, super busy. But his the, the, the power of his connections, the wealth of his knowledge, the fact that, you know, he spent that time learning about you before you yes. even got there. And yes. then made that strategic move for you, right? I'm like a huge believer in a giver's game. And that to me is like major giver's game. Exactly. It really is. But you know what? If I would not have reached out and if I would not have put myself out there, that door would never have opened for me. And so I would say if you're listening, always just continually put yourself out there because you don't know which one of the things that you're doing is actually going to take off and make a difference. It, it may, you know, you may put yourself out there and nothing happens, or you may put yourself out there and you get introduced to a major publisher who wants to publish your next book. And so we're going to get into the book in a little bit. So that trajectory of the, I want to hear a little bit about now that you are being published by Wiley and you've got the book out, what are some, what's some of the cool impact that has happened because of that? It is excuse me, it is having a major impact on my business, the types of uh, organizations that are reaching out, the folks that I'm actually meeting now at a different level. I know I have some work coming up where I'm going to uh, be meeting with Les Brown. Yes, in Atlanta. And, oh and you know, a couple of my coaches, Janet Schwartzer or John Kramer, these guys have coached Jack Canfield and Stephen Covey. And so by having, by by, you know, Putting myself out there, getting this book published, it is just opening major doors. I'm starting to get television interviews as well. And so, yeah, so it's a lot that's beginning to happen. And, you know, there's speaking engagements coming. I have some speaking engagements that are, be that are beginning to start coming up. And I'm going to be integrating music along with that. So it's not just me speaking. It's actually me playing my bass, speaking, have some presentational information. Also, I'll talk about neuroscience of music and neuroscience of team building. And all the things that I've learned around productivity, music, neuroscience, and workplace engagement and culture. You know, you know, I just love this. And you know that we really hit it off right away when we started working together, I think because of the arts background that we both yes. share. Yes. And I love the neuroscience behind it all and be especially behind the arts. And 
you know, you talk about investing in yourself and anyone who does really well in a coaching program or reaches out to coach, oftentimes for me, like the ideal client, coaching client, typically is someone who has a, an athletic background or an yeah. artistic background because yes. both athletes and artists, they get it. They understand. Yeah, they get it. They understand that there is a lot of time that you have to put into it. And with that, you have to have coaches and guides that are going to yeah. help make you better, right? You can't be a great musician without learning and getting the lessons and getting the coaching. Same with an athlete. Like they know that they need to be coached up in order to get better. And, right. you know, not everybody sees that they need to do that. And I found it also very interesting what you talked about. Somebody else was playing guitar better than you. So you made a choice to shift. Right. Right. And then put the time and the training into that. And I think that's also interesting, too. And I don't know if you've ever read the book Mastery by Robert Greene. That's like my newest read right now. Yes. And, you know, he talks a lot about the need for the concentrated focus. I'm picking something and then staying focused on it. And it's real easy as an artist to kind of wander off because we get bored and need constant sensory. And right. but you have to stay dedicated to playing those same chords over and yeah. over again. Yeah. And you have to do it in a way that keeps you engaged. And to build that mastery, you really do have to have that deliberate, I call it deliberate practice and consistent practice. Those are the core things that you have to do is, is really be consistent. I have a, I created a tagline around mentorship and coaching I think you're going to love. And, it's the, and, and what it is, it's mentoring and coaching is like being on the HOV lane in your career, in your life. <laughs> yes. now think, about, think about the HOV lane, right? It's high occupancy lane. Yeah. You're now, you're in Atlanta, so you get this. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. You New York, so anywhere you have traffic, you're going to get this really well, even if you're in, you know, wherever. Where I grew up in Lakeland, Florida, there's traffic. Everywhere is traffic. But if you're in traffic and you're by yourself, you're working hard. You're pressing on the gas. You're stuck pressing on the brakes. People are cutting you off. You know, you're just kind of stuck and you're moving very slowly trying to get there. And it may take you an hour or two to get to somewhere. It could take you 30 minutes if there's no traffic. Yeah. yeah. But if you're, if you have one other person with you in the car, they open up and say, you can go to the HOV lane, the high occupancy lane. And there's usually no one on that lane. Or if they are, they're all going 65 miles an hour and they're just flying by and they're cruising, they're relaxing, they're having a great conversation. And to me, that's what mentoring and coaching is like. Because when I have great coaches and mentors, they put me on a trajectory to go further and faster in my life and in my career than if I was stuck in the, tra the traffic of life in my career and just kind of stuck there. Daryl, I love that. I wish I would have come up with it. It's so good. It's I'm like my I'm like my I'm think I'm like okay. So that's interesting because it doesn't really cost you that much to get into the HOV lane. Like what's it cost, it cost you? And, you right? and here's the thing: you work less. You actually work less. You spend. You're less tired. You're moving faster. You're enjoying yourself, and it's not as frustrating. And you get to where you're trying to get to quicker. Yes. Yes. And if you think about it, right, if you think about why somebody would not 
UCHOV lane. Oh, I don't want to have to go pick somebody up and share the ride. And that's an investment. Exactly. But, I want to be the, by myself. Yeah. But that investment ends up being it really beneficial. You. Well, it, it costs you in the investment side, but it costs you to stay in the car by yourself as well. True. Yeah. Because you, yeah. you're always yeah, better yeah. off. Having someone to bounce off of. Exactly. And, and, and depending on what you're, where you are in your life and your career, it can cost you years that you could literally be somewhere further along in a, in, in a matter of weeks or months compared to just in that place years from now by yourself. Well, you're a little bit of my hero because I have been talking for I don't know how long now, seven years that I'm trying to get my book written for seven years or longer. And finally, I hired a coach to help me do go. it. Like I'm very coached up. Like I've always invested in coaches for myself. But with the uh, for some reason, I'm like, I can't, I got this. I know how to write. I got this. I got this. I know how to do this. And I'm like, well, it's not happening. So there's a problem <laughs> here because there's always an excuse of why it's not happening. And right. I got this coach for, and it's a pretty penny when I'm paying I like had to swallow hard on that and get, you know, run it by my husband and be like, but it has been like the best thing I could have done. I'm like, why didn't I do this sooner? Because she's not just, she's doing all the things. Like she's got an entire team helping me with editing and everything. Oh yeah. But she's literally, she's a publisher, but she's coaching me yeah. on a regular, on a weekly basis, twice yeah. a week. Yeah. And what she's able to pull out of me is fascinating because I have all this stuff locked in me that I don't even realize. Yep. And I can't pull it out of myself. And exactly. I get I get on a call with her and she's like magic. And I'm like, mind blown. I'm like, how can I not see this for myself? But we can't. Right. Well, Willie Jolly would always say, if you're in the picture, you can't see the frame. Amen. Yes, that's <laughs> just it. That's just yeah, it. If you're in the picture, you can't see the frame. And here's the thing that I know. In 2015, I met Harvey McKay. Mm -hmm. And that time, you know, I think Harvey was probably about 80. Wow. At that time. And he was, you know, the, the multimillionaire, owner of a professional sports team. And I met him at the National Speakers Association Conference in the D.C. area. And we started talking. And you know, he was talking about a course that he had that he was going to be selling that he had charged like $150,000 per person for some NFL players and other folks, but he was going to give it to the folks at NSA to help for their benevolent fund for like a hundred bucks. I'm like, I'm in, right? I'm in. Yeah. And, yeah. But he was saying, but he said, you know, he goes, you know, I really believe in coaching myself. He goes, I'm 80 years old and I, I have probably about six or seven coaches. He goes, I love playing golf. I have a golf coach. I love cooking, you know, gourmet food. I have a gourmet food coach. I have a stretch coach. I have a writing coach. I'm like, dude, you got seven or eight bestsellers. He still had a writing coach. And so the thing I learned from that experience was that it, it's really the, re the reason he is who he is, is because of all the various coaches and people in his life. Because again, he realizes if I'm in the picture, I can't see the frame. Yeah. I can't see all of what I'm bringing to the table. Yeah. If I'm looking at it from my own perspective. And many times we limit ourselves because of that. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think a lot of that has to do with self-limiting doubts, imposter syndrome. We don't see some of our own greatness 
You know, we hear a lot about focusing on like giving people feedback on how to improve, but oftentimes we don't give feedback on how somebody is amazing or what is their secret sauce. And if we had, you know, I as a coach, I really like to focus on that. Yeah, here are areas you need to improve in, right? Again, your recognition of like, all right, maybe guitar is not it. Let me go focus somewhere else. Having like that recognition to put you on a a different and better path. Like, why not focus on your strengths? Yeah, let me fix these things that I'm not great at, but why am I not catapulting my own strengths? Exactly. And as you know, Gina, I think I told you this when we started working together in 2018, I had that major bout with vertigo mm-hmm. and it impacted my vestibular system. I literally lost the ability to walk. Music saved my life. You know, the, the gift that God gave me as, as a musician saved my life because it allowed me once I got to the point where I could sit up to play my bass and music activates the brain. The neuroscience of music is it activates the brain in a way that it'll repair itself if there's mm-hmm. damage. Now, it didn't fully recover everything, right? So I still have, some people may say, a quote-unquote, a disability. I don't call it that because words are very powerful because I'm not disabled. I may have a constraint. And so when I think about constraints, I'm actually certified in the theory of constraints by Elliot Goldratt in his book, The Goal. Well, when you have a constraint, you have to elevate that constraint and you have to leverage that constraint to get more done because you a constraint is like a nozzle when you water your garden. You wouldn't consider that a bad thing. We go to the store and we purchase those constraints and we put them on the water hose and now we use less water but more spray. Mm-hmm. So by seeing my vestibular imbalance as a constraint, I said, okay, so that means the things that I work on in my day-to-day life and my business have to move the ball forward. If they don't, I don't do them. Well, yeah, we, you and I have talked about, and I've recommended this. One of my other favorite books is A Beautiful Constraint. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You shared that with me and I read that book. And it was, and again, it was an awesome way of looking at and how you call, what you call certain things. If you have something that's challenging in your life, don't call it a disability because you're just telling your, you're telling your non-conscious mind, yeah. I am disabled. So guess what it's going to do? Disable you. It's going to disable you. Yeah. Exactly. And you're going to be you're, and you're going to see the world as I'm not able. Yeah, I, word, words definitely matter. And we're going to get into the neuroscience. You know, one so course that I just got done producing or at least recorded is called Selling with Confidence. And I talk about, you know, part of like how ways to improve your confidence. One of those ways is to get feedback from yeah. other people. And I've done a lot of research, a lot of studying on it. And some of the research I stumbled on was like, you know, get criticism, get constructive criticism from others. And I'm like, I just hate that word criticism. Criticism connotes some kind of I'm going to critique you. I'm going to be critical. For me, that words matter that way. That brain is, oh, gosh, here comes the criticism versus why not say constructive feedback? Exactly. Feedback goes out. Right. Okay. great. I would love some feedback versus can I give you some constructive criticism? We shut down. Exactly. Well, you know, think about it. When you you talked about professional athletes and musicians, you know, as a kid, I, you know, did lawns and other things to, to get money for lessons to pay someone to not to criticize me, but to give me constructive feedback. Right. Because I wanted to get better as a bass player. And so. One, I learned the value of a dollar that, and I also learned the value of education. 
but I also learned the value of getting constructive feedback. And then if I really want to get better at something, you know, I'll tell my coach, don't sugarcoat it. If it's ugly, if the baby's ugly, tell me the baby's ugly. <laughs> Jeff Blunt says that all the time. <laughs> yeah, just tell, just, you know, because I can't, if, if, you, if you say the baby's cute, but you really mean the baby's ugly, okay, I'm a, I may like change some things about the baby, but the baby's still ugly. The baby needs to be changed or, or something needs to be done so that the baby is no longer ugly, but like really pretty or cute or whatever. And so I would rather people just come out and be very blunt, candid, but understanding that candor is not criticism, that candor is constructive feedback. Yeah. And it's also how I take it. It's not so much what the person says, Perfect. it's what I hear and how I perceive it and how I take it. Yeah, exactly. And the other part of that that I talk about in this course is that feedback is also subjective and an opinion of someone else and not necessarily gospel or factual, right? When we give right. feedback, this is why I think it's so important to have multiple coaches per se, because different coaches have different perspectives for one. Yep. And then when you look at feedback and how you apply it, right, again, that is subjective too. And Exactly. Exactly. So I think yeah. getting multiple kind of points of view on it. I'm into things like psychodrama. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're aware of that. I'm sure you are because you're a smart man, but psycho and psychological analysis and putting those together and looking at a 360 view of something like put yourself in the shoes of multiple people that would be experiencing you or perceiving you and what's their perception. And then at wow. the end of the day, it's a really cool, I went to like a three-day event years ago with a bunch of trial attorneys. I was the only non-attorney there, but I asked them, I'm like, can I come to your event? Because I wanted to watch how they actually applied psychodrama. And they use this in trial preparation. So okay. they literally go, okay, so we're going to put this person on the stand and now let's role play how the jury perceives this witness. Let's role play the victim who's sitting there watching the trial, what how their reaction is going to be. Let's role play. It's a really fascinating because what they're trying to do is look at this really big picture of how everybody sees things and not necessarily subscribe to all that, but right. just be aware of it. Just be aware of it. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm glad you explained the concept of psychodrama because I had never heard that term before. Okay. And the vision that came to my mind was... <laughs> <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like one it's, of the horror movies that is like a cycle drawing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm I read a lot of books. I'm currently reading a book that was actually published in 1978 called Born to Win. Okay. And it is written by psychologists and it's a perspective on a psychoanalysis and gotcha. transactional analysis and the different parts of our ego. So we've got three parts of our ego, the child, the parent and the adult and how right. that shows up. And I got into that because I started learning about Gestalt theory and Gestalt yeah. theory, right, is a whole other, if that falls out of that psychoanalysis kind of thing. But there's, you can actually improve confidence through doing this Gestalt theory thing, or you like literally address the thing that makes you uncomfortable or makes, you know, creates the self-limiting doubts in yourself. Oh, yeah. exactly. um, so there's a lot of cool exercises on that. So with all that being said, we want to get that feedback to improve our confidence. Right. But also keep in mind at the same time, it's people's opinions. And then you just have to take all of that in and then shape it in a way that works for you. 
Exactly. You know, it's so important that we're talking about the coaching and mentoring and the, you know, psychoanalysis and all those things, because, you know, and then I'm going to shift a little bit, just and, and talk a little bit about the book here. Yeah. Let's because, do it. because the essence of the book is how mentorship taught manager decision-making, project management, and workplace engagement. And here's the premise of the story. It is a business novel. Instead of it being just a regular, you know, nonfiction, Mm -hmm. you know, this is how you do things. Let me tell you a couple of stories in the process. The whole book is a story itself. Oh, I love it. It's the drama of, and if you think of Ted Lasso, that kind of drama, multi-characters and parts and flaws and all kinds of different things going on. That's really how the book is written. I wrote it with a fiction writer, a coach, who was also also a musician and who also was the orchestra manager for a major symphony orchestra. So we were able to pull my background as a classical bass player and his background as a musician and an orchestra manager into the story because the story is a guy named Jerry Hall, who's a bassist for a symphony, wins the job also of being the orchestra manager. Mm. And he, but he doesn't have all the business skills. So he has to go and reach out to a professor named Dr. Carl Richardson, who starts mentoring him. So it's kind of like the goal of the book, The Goal yeah. by Go Red, where uh, Alex reaches out to Jonah. And Jonah's a physicist and he's teaching theory of constraints. Well, that's a really heady topic. Well, my topic is really around, you know, portfolio project decisions and, and complex modeling things. So how do you teach something that complex in a way that people can get it? Well, you turn it into a whole story and you allow them to experience the processes through the story. So as Jerry's trying to figure out, okay, how do I do this? I'm going to need some help. He reaches out and starts getting mentored and they meet over coffee on a regular basis. And he begins to slowly dole out all the information that he needs, giving him charts, giving him insights. Hey, read this article, take this program, look at this, look at that. And then he goes back in the next chapter and puts it all into practice with all the drama in his life, his marriage, his with his teenage daughter that's going through some stuff, his son, his the conductors, a prima donna. You have all this stuff that's going on. And while you're do, watching him go through that, you're also assimilating the lessons that he's learning. And then you're watching him, how he's putting into practice what he's been mentored on and that he really becomes successful as he goes through that and creating a workplace where everyone is engaged and everyone's bought in, how to get a lot of things done really fast in a very complex environment and also how to make decisions when you have a lot of chaos going on. And so, so the book really teaches you and gets you engaged in those things. I, I absolutely love that. And you know, I'm one for storytelling and I love the concept of selling with stories. And I think yes. you and I, I think I sent you my yeah, my we, framework on that at one point. Yes. Yeah. We, we worked on it. Yeah. So because I think people can digest it better. I love these business novels because I've heard other people do them of taking the concepts, but putting it into a story that has a hero in it, because I think people will be able to at least it's easier to kind of digest and then put yourself in their shoes. Even if you're exactly. not exactly that person, you can be like, oh, Right. And you're throwing all the everyday life situations, all the <laughs> obstacles along the way. Right. Person has to encounter. And then right. you infuse those learning concepts. 
I haven't had a chance to read the book yet, and I will. In the book, do you have a, do you kind of lay out like here's some ways, here's some strategies, here's some things you can do? Yes, I do. After at the end of each of the chapters, I I sum it up with Dr. Richardson's tips. Love it. So from a because one of the, because remember we talked about having coaches and having great teams. So one of the things I learned was when I wrote my first book, Culture is the Base, I wrote it with one coach. And, you know, I did the cover and I, I hired somebody off of Fiverr to do the cover. I ended up having to redo the cover of the book later on and, and republish it. And th that book's doing well. And then I wrote Workplace Jazz. Now I got a literary agent. Uh, I got a little bit bigger of a team that was published by Business Expert Press. So now I'm getting published by a, a publisher. And, but then when I did Symphony of Choices, I went out and started working with John Kramer, who coached Jack Canfield and Stephen Covey. We worked on the, the title, the subtitle. He introduced me to a guy, George Foster, who helped me with the cover of the book. That was an investment to really make sure that the cover was going to speak to what the book was about. Having David Aretha as my editor, you know, basically I just really pulled a whole team. Yeah. And even working with my PR firm, who knows what which books and which types of books are selling, so they could look at my book and go, okay, for this to sell or for this to do well, even though you're telling the story, it's a business book. So you got to make sure that the business components of the book yeah. are blatantly obvious. Right. So at the end of each chapter, there's the Dr. Richardson's tips, which are the business strategies that you need to, that you can walk away with and use. At the end of the book, there's a summation of all of the business strategies. And then there's an implementation guide. The implementation guide is a guide that I had used with a major law firm for about four years. This is one of the AMLAW law firms, about a billion dollar law firm, and helped them become a projectized organization where they're getting you know tons of projects done now. They're using portfolio managers, the project manager, they all got their certifications, you know, and it's five countries, 14 offices. So this is not wow. like just one little office. Yeah. This is global this is major. reach. And so that's the implementation guide in the back of the book that I genericized and said, hey, if you follow these processes, this is the steps I use to help change the culture of a major major law firm in, in the U.S., an Ivy League major law firm in the that, U.S. Uh, that's amazing. So for those readers who are like, oh, I don't want to read a story, they can still go to the end of the chapter. They can skip it, pull out the tips, get the guide and get what they need because like, your audience audiences can differ in what you're working with. I, I want to talk a little bit about, I want to kind of get into this neuroscience because sure. you've got this background in project management, right? And so when I think project management, I think more the other side of the brain. I think of the left side of the brain, the organized, you know, I put things together logical. And then you've got the art side of the brain, the right side of the brain, right? The more creative side. And so somehow you bring those two together, right? Because people either toward kind of lean towards I'm the right side or I'm the left side. Yeah. But I think it's those of us who can find a way to put the two together. Like people, I think, are surprised that I have such an operations background. They just, I think they're surprised when they hear about it. But that right. operations side from my career is extremely helpful in helping me analyze situations to then get creative. And so I'm a big believer in when you put left side, right side together, this is where it's kind of its own symphony. How do you like that? Exactly. So let's exactly. talk a little bit about the neuroscience of meshing the two. 
Yeah, I'll share before I do that. I'll share a quick example of two people that I I actually wrote an article about that that are in, are in history that were played pivotal roles in 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 the world history because they had that capability, and that was Henry Ford and Winston mm-hmm. Churchill. Henry Ford was a classical violinist, besides being an engineer. Did not know that. So that's why if you go up to his museum up in Michigan and you go to where his cars are, you'll see all the cars and trains and everything else that he's created. But you'll also see a glass case where he has like this class, these classical violins. And he, in fact, he had the time, he had the largest uh, collection of Italian classical violins in the U.S., um, and he was a trained classical musician. Wow. Most people don't know that about him, but imagine how that affected his way of thinking. What did he develop that nobody else developed? The assembly line. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. when you have the left and right brain go- happening at the same time, you're able to step back and look at the nuances in the big picture, but because you have the left brain, now you can go in and work on the details of the big picture. Well, yeah. most people can see the big picture, but I don't know how to put it all together. Right. Well, I know I know how to put it all together, but what's the big picture? But when you have both, you're able to do both. Winston Churchill, what did he do? He saved England. He saved you know, World War II, right? With all the challenges that were going on. Well, he was an artist. Now, he wasn't a musician, but he was an artist. Hmm. So he developed that creative side of his brain, but he was also the diplomat that knew how to you know maneuver, how to motivate, how to get things going. And doing one of the most you know critical times in the world period he was one of the main people that helped pull the world out of world war ii because of his ability to have that right brain left brain and so it's really important and you can cultivate that in my book workplace jazz i have a section i talk about whole brain integration now musicians develop that because of just when you're playing music and this is why i hate when they say Oh, our school budgets are tight, so let's pull music out yeah. of the schools. Yeah. If they would have pulled music out of the schools, I wouldn't be who I am. Right. And it's not just that, but when I got to college, because of all the musical training, and I had to take like these uh, math classes and things like that, the math teacher would look at me and go, Why aren't you a math major? You're so good at it. I was like, Okay, but that's not what I love. But it was the music. And when I switched careers and started getting into computers, Working on computers and learning the code and learning project manager skills. And so it was like picking up another instrument. Right. Because the same concepts, the same philosophy, the same logical parts of our brains that are being developed are the same parts that are needed for technology. If you find a lot of developers, coders, technical folks, they have a musical background as well. I've met more musicians who are coders and and artists than in almost any other field because that logical mindset of music and technology really go together. Mm-hmm. It does. It really goes together. But what I found is that about meditating, you can also develop a kind of like a whole brain yeah. model where you can connect the left and right brain together. It takes time. Obviously, it's something that happens that you have to be curious about. You have to study. You have to want to learn about it. You have to want to know about it. And and you have to apply yourself. And that's how I've used it. I love that. Meditation is definitely, that's something else I talk about with my confidence coursework of getting our brains to that place. And especially if you have a fast moving brain, like I will do five minute and 10 minute meditations. So for anybody who really struggles with how am I going to do that? Because my brain is working too fast. 
There are all kinds of apps for it. I literally just set a timer and follow a couple different mantras that I use that yeah. then help settle my brain. And it's in that five to 10 minute spurt that I feel a little bit calmer. I've got a good friend, Rachel, who does breath work now. She's gone down the breath work path of there's so much involved with breathing techniques and different yes. types. And people are not even aware of all the ways you could breathe to right. restore your brain. Exactly. And you know, here's the thing that I learned because I did, re I actually, I'm not a breath work person, but I actually went with someone who does breath work and got some work done on me around breath yeah. work. Yeah. And then I'm, you know, I'm curious like you yourself and I read the books on breath work. And one of the things that I learned about breath work and why it works so well is that it's not that we need more oxygen, is that we need to optimize the carbon dioxide that we have in our system. Yeah. Because it's the carbon dioxide that goes throughout our system that drops off the oxygen to the rest of the blood, to the rest of the to the body to make sure that, you know, our bodies are, are well oxygenated. Yeah. And so by learning how to breathe right and some of those other breathing techniques, we actually can optimize how our bodies are using the oxygen and the carbon dioxide that we have in our systems, which is fascinating to for one. And then, you know, there's something called box breathing that uh, the, yes. the, a lot of the military and yeah. uh, 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 Navy Marines use when they're under stress. And that's just counting. You take a breath in, you count to four, you hold mm -hmm. it, count to four, you let it out, you count, you count four. to four, and then you hold it again. And just breathing can change your physiology. It can change your mindset, it can slow you down. And so sometimes, you know, when it comes to meditation, some people may not be able to sit for 10 minutes, 20 minutes and do meditation, but they can sit for three minutes and just do simple box breathing for three minutes and, you know, focus on one thing or do a mantra to occupy your conscious mind and allow your body to breathe, allow your body to optimize that oxygen and that carbon dioxide. So that and it will that little exercise, that micro move will change how you your body operate. It'll change how you respond to things yeah. because now you have a little bit more capacity to handle things. Something I started doing, especially with the vestibular and the stress and so on, is I started doing yoga in the mornings. And yoga to me is, you know, when you after you take a shower, you take your rag and you squeeze yeah. it, you wring it out. That's like yoga to me is you're wringing stress out of your body yeah and by doing that it's okay so now when i do my meditation i can listen i can be more calmer i'm not as stressed i can listen to intuitive thoughts that come in because sometimes we can't even hear the thoughts that are trying to come in that our conscious our non-conscious mind is trying to give us because we're so stressed out and so busy yeah. And I've talked about this too in um, when I'm teaching creative selling of what are some of the creativity cultivators? And yeah. a cultivator that I talk about is boredom. Yeah. Taking boredom as an opportunity, like literally doing nothing. Sometimes when I drive a lot, I travel a lot in my car. I used to listen to books on Audible nonstop and I stopped doing that. And I still listen, but I just carve out a, a certain amount of time and I don't do the whole time because I will take one or two hours of a four-hour drive with nothing going on in the car, not listening to the radio, not listening to a book, not being on the phone, 
just being. And some people have had, when I tell them this, they're like, I never thought of that. Well, the brain being a muscle needs a, it needs a break, yeah. right? It needs a break. And you're already working it in the car driving because it's got to right. pay attention to the road and what's going on. And it needs a break. Like you keep, I, I kind of, another analogy I have with this is like when you feed yourself so much food t- to the point where you're so full, you feel like, oh my God, I'm going to throw up. I've just eaten so much, right? right? Your, your stomach becomes full. The brain does the same thing. You fill the brain, you keep throwing stuff in it, and then it's just, it's done. Exactly, exactly. Our, our conscious minds have a limited capacity. Now, here's the interesting part. Our non-conscious minds have almost unlimited capacity. Mm. And so I'm working with a guy named Dr. Paul Shealy, and he taught me this concept of the conscious, you know, you have the conscious, subconscious, but he also, they have something that, that's called the non-conscious mind. Because our non-conscious mind is really what runs our body, right? It's what runs yeah. your heart rate and what runs your circulatory system and all, all the things that are operating. They're not just operating out of willy-nilly. They're being operated on by your non-conscious mind. And it's resources that many times we don't have access to. But if we learn how to tap into it and access it, it's amazing what we can do. So think of the, the, your conscious mind by putting your feet together and draw a circle around your feet, let's say that's the size of your conscious mind. Right? So in other words, on a, if you were to see something, your eyes take in 10 million bits per second. You're only aware of four bits per second. Wow. So think about all the stuff that we see. Yeah. That's four bits per second. But our eyes are taking in 10 million bits per second. Yeah. Of information that we can't even see. And that's why we walk into a room and something happens and we're like, I'm not sure what happened, but something's not right. Exactly. Because our non-conscious mind has saw it and we're not we, we're not consciously aware of it. Yeah. But we know it's there. But it's 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 in there. Exactly. So our so our non-conscious mind, if you take your feet with that circle, put a dot in the middle, and then go out eleven miles from where you are, eleven miles. Wherever that is, you know, think of someplace that's 11 miles away from you and draw a circle all the way around you, 11 miles wide. That's your non-conscious mind. Ooh. Ooh, that's, it almost sounds like a dangerous place to be. <laughs> so, you know, so a, a great, here's a great takeaway if you're listening. If you're struggling with a challenge or have a problem, write it down on a piece of paper, look at it, and then ask your non-conscious mind, literally ask your non-conscious mind, how do I solve this problem? Then put it away and go do something else for a couple of days. Love that. And then when you come back to it, your non-conscious mind with all those resources would have gone out and figured out how to solve this problem or what, oh, you know, who do you need to talk to? Where do you need to do? Because for me, you know, if you think about it, I'm, I'm going to, going back to publishing my book. I knew I wanted to find a major publisher. I had no idea how. And so I'm thinking, okay, how do I do this? And so the idea came up. Jeff Blunt has this conference. Go to the conference in Outbound. Did I know that was going to, how that was going to happen? But I go to Outbound. I join the VIP program. I get to have a one-on-one with Jeff. And he says, I want to introduce you to my publisher. So, so the problem that I had was 
I want, okay, I had Business Expert Press before. I want a larger publisher. How do I do that? I'm not sure, but I'm going to just, I'm going to put it down as a goal. I'm going to pursue it and I'll see what happens. Yeah, I, Gerald, I love that. You know, a little bit of law of attraction, a little bit of putting it in the universe, kind of. Oftentimes I will say, okay, I want to do this thing. I don't know how I'm going to do this thing, but the fact that I announce it, that I want to do this thing, and then I file it away. Yes. And then eventually, all of a sudden, it's like I have an epiphany of, oh, here's the solution. And it just comes out of nowhere and it feels like magic. But I get what you're saying there, that the non-conscious mind, basically what you're doing is, I just had a visual because I'm a visual person. So as you were telling this story, I'm like, okay, it's me physically handing off to the non-conscious mind who looked kind of like a geeky tech person. I don't know. That was the visual. (laughs) I gave it to the geeky tech person and he's, I got this. I'm going to go do some research on it. And he left to do research. I'm just saying the visual came up for me. He's out there doing the research and he comes back to be like, I got the answer. Exactly. That's, that's exactly a, that's the visual exactly I how had. It works. And here's the other part about it, too. It actually engages something else in our brain called the reticular activating system. And the reticular activating system is actually in the back where the cerebral uh, spine is. It basically, when you write a goal or you buy a brand new blue car and you drive off the lot and you go, everybody has this car. <laughs> or everybody, I'm seeing this car all over the place. Well, you didn't see it before because it wasn't important to you. Yeah. So yeah. You're, so think about it. If our mind, if our eyes actually can see 10, 10 million bits per second, the job of the brain is to filter out, only show them the 4%. That's important. That's critical. So, but then if you write a goal of what you want in your life or you write your goals every day, then those are the things that are going to show up because your brain says, filter out all this other stuff, but you know those seven things or those 11 things or those 20 things that they wrote down and made their goals? That's important to them. We got to show them that stuff. We got to attract people who can help them. We got to show them the possibilities. We got to show them books that can help them. And, you know, but we don't, but if you're not writing out your goals, if you're not developing goals, if you're not getting mentored, then I look at it as we either are an ocean liner with a direction or we're driftwood. Yeah. Yeah. Now, an ocean liner may take a little bit of time to get there and it's kind of putting along, yep. right? But it has a specific direction it's going and it's making progress. Driftwood, wherever the water throws it, that's, you know, how was your day? Oh, it's horrible. Like, uh, the, you know, I got to make the donuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I love that, Gerald. It's something that when I'm coaching people, I always say, write it down, write down, especially for salespeople. What do you want to earn this year? Yeah. How much do you want to sell this year? What does that look like? Let's talk about the numbers of what this looks like. Or I'll talk about what's your exit plan? What do you want to do when you retire? You and I are closer to that than some of the young ones that I coach. I'm like, I know you're not thinking about this, but I wish somebody would have said that to me when I was a little bit younger of like, what's what's a general end game? My career might change a lot, but what's a general end game? Write it down. For every time I write down how much money I want to make for the year, I seem to always make it. So every year I write down a bigger number. (laughs) There you go. Right? And so for some reason, it feels like this miracle that I hit it every time. Right. But to your point, that's why. 
exactly. the back of my the back of my brain is working and that little geeky tech guy is out there running numbers. <laughs> exactly. And and that's but and we all have I think that you know we all have that capacity and that capability because we all have the brains that that uh, ability to do that. We all have a conscious, subconscious, and non-conscious mind that has all of these amazing things that go along with it. I love, I love the non-conscious mind. A, a couple other things I want to talk about, and before we wrap up, because I can't believe an hour has already gone by. <laughs> I can talk to you forever. That's what was so fun about <laughs> coaching you, because. I always am like fascinated by the things that you share because of all of your knowledge, because you're so well read and you're always learning. I want to talk a little bit about what you're up to right now and maybe ways people can work with you. But before that, I meant to ask you this earlier, when we talk about coaching and having multiple coaches, and I'm surrounded by people with multiple coaches. I have multiple coaches. You have multiple coaches. There are people that want it. You know, I just talked to someone yesterday who I'm working with his company but he's, you know, I think I need my own coach. And then we had that conversation. And of course, panic sets in when it's, this is how much it costs. And he's, I just can't justify it. And he's an analytical breaking it down by the numbers. And I'm like, you can't break this down by one-on-one time because it's so much more than that. It's the, right. the, the time that I am available to you as your lifeline. What would be your advice to someone who has never been coached but wants to or has never paid for it and is having right. a really hard time wrapping their head around I'm gonna how do I pay for this coaching and feel like I'm getting the the best return exactly so I would say start small right improve by one percent coaching for you may be I'm gonna get a book on this topic okay and it may be I'm gonna read the I'm gonna listen to the audiobook of the same book so I get a deeper understanding of this concept I'm going to look, look up the author and see if they have a program. Maybe they have a newsletter. Maybe they have a webinar. Who knows? Maybe they have a short, you know, course that is like 50 bucks or 97 bucks or hundred bucks or something along that line. What I found is that a lot of authors, a lot of experts, they have like incremental steps of how to get next to them before you have to pay the big ticket yeah. uh, for the coaching program. You know, you know, I learned from Jeb Blunt first by buying one of his books from Wiley. Was that 24 bucks, 25 bucks? Taking one of the programs. Was that 90 bucks? You know, meeting you and taking one of your programs, $100 or something, $150 or something like that. And then over time, and as I saw the material working for me, and I started writing out my goals and I started seeing things happen, then I was like, okay, now I can take the next step. Now I feel comfortable. If you try to jump in and go, I want a coach that's going, I'm going to pay them $10,000. That's a whole different ball game. Plus, you also have to believe that you're worth it. And I think a yeah. lot of times, yeah. you know, folks who go after coaching, and I think about the best athletes in the world, they spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars on a coach. Think about Tiger Woods. He's made a, a billion dollars. How much do you think that coach costs him? You think this guy's going to make, you know, $10,000. No, he's probably making close to a million dollars or more working with Tiger, but look what Tiger's making. Right. Right. And Tiger was like, I'm worth having a million dollar coach because he's like, because now I'm making a billion dollars. Well, if you're making a hundred thousand dollars, are you making $50,000? Is a thousand dollar coach worth it? Is a 25 book 
$25 book worth it. So you have to start somewhere. So start small investing, start seeing the growth in yourself, but also as you grow, you're going to see that you're worth being invested in. Yeah. Once you understand that you're worth being invested in, you're going to not only embrace that coaching and go after that coaching and invest in that coaching, but you're also going to make the most of that coaching because you just invested a lot of money yeah, into that exactly. And you want to get out what you're worth. And so I really, I think it's a twofold. It's start small, but also see that you're worth being invested in. And if you want to invest in yourself, why would anybody else invest in you? Oh, that's it right there. That's it right there. That's the magic of it. And it's scary at first, but you and I have been through it. Even now, the coach that I'm working with on the book, it is the most expensive coaching program I've ever paid for. It is crazy amount of money. And at the same time, every week when I got to show up with completed work and I'm like, oh gosh, could I just cancel this? I'm not done with my work. And then it forces me to get the work done. I'm like, I paid for this. I have to show up. Otherwise, I'm going to hate myself that I didn't show up and I paid for something that I didn't use. Exactly. Exactly. So it's an accountability system for me. Thank you for sharing that for anybody who's like on the fence about coaching. It is incremental. There are incremental ways to do it. Even when, when people reach out to us about our coaching program and then they feel like it's too much for them. I do. I say, hey, check out Sales Graving University. That yeah. to me is like one of the best investments. It's under $100 a month and yep. you get access to you all of us. Everything. everything. You know? Everything and the life courses. And that's my little shameless plug for salesgravy.university. I, I but let's, would totally agree. I would totally concur. I would thank totally you. Concur. Let's talk about what are you doing right now? What are some ways people can work with you? What would you like to to tell the world about so that people can connect with Gerald? So if you want to connect with me, go to my website. And in fact, I have a dedicated page. If you're listening to this podcast, on my website called geraldjleonard.com forward slash warned, W-R-N-N-E-D, warned. So go to geraldjleonard.com forward slash warned, and there's a dedicated page with a weekly evaluation worksheet so you can work on your time management. There's a handbook on the six things that you need to know about project management because every goal right now is a project. Everything that we're working on, if it's multi-steps, if it's not one task or one thing, then it's actually a project. And everyone's a project manager, especially with AI coming on board. And what I teach in that program, that white paper, basically are the six things that I've learned over 25 years of being a project manager on multi-million dollar programs. One of my clients had a $16 billion budget for their uh, 14,000 projects. If you don't have these six things in your project management portfolio or or package, then your project will not make. So I'm giving that away, those six tips for free. And it's also a a handbook that goes along with a companion book that goes along with my book. And I reference it, different chapters in the book that you can read as well. And then if you really want to talk to me, you can schedule a 30 minute call to learn more about me. All of my social media links are on there and everything else. So it's GeraldJLeonard.com forward slash warned for listeners of this podcast. Awesome. I got to tell you, you are the first podcast guest that I've had that has given so much good value for the listeners to go tap into beyond 
the podcast. So I think that is super awesome. I really appreciate that. It has been so great having you here today. I can talk to you forever. And after we wrap this up, we'll talk about getting back together because I want to continue just catching up with you and staying in touch with you. Like I said, it was so great to work with you one-on-one. And I love seeing what you're doing. And you inspire me, by the way. You inspire me. Excellent. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks again to Gerald for being here. And thank you all of you listeners for listening to this episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy and salesgravy.university which is where you can go check out our course at salesgravy.university. You heard it here. It is a value. Gerald said it is a value. And for more about this show, you can check us out at womenyourmotherwarnsyouabout.com. And this show is now available on YouTube. So if you want to watch us or you want to see Gerald's really cool background, check that out on YouTube. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Bye.